Hi, this is Gary Bolton. I'm the president and CEO of the Fiber Broadband Association. And I'm here today to provide our, an update on our first quarter results, first quarter of 2021. You know, we exit the first quarter of 2021 with measured optimism. The widespread deployment of vaccines provides some comfort and protection and a path to herd immunity. The pandemic has also highlighted the inequity of a widening digital divide as communities continue to work from home, attend school virtually, and seek healthcare online. Those communities have, that have deployed fiber have prospered and flourished, while those who haven't have been set further behind. Our nation and nations across the world have looked to our industry to close this digital divide so that we can all live, work, and improve our quality of life wherever we choose to live, whether that is in Silicon Valley or rural Mississippi. I'm proud to say that the fiber industry has stepped up to this challenge and has made great strides in the first quarter to get fiber and fiber funding to more people and more communities across the nation. Let's look at our operating model. At the Fiber Broadband Association, we made tremendous progress throughout the quarter. Our first mission was to get our operations in order. The pandemic prevented our organization from holding an in-person annual conference. And despite a very successful virtual conference, our organization ended up 2020 in a deficit. As a result, we took the necessary measures to revamp our operating model to re reduce costs and gain efficiencies. During the quarter, we moved from having our operations managed by an association management company to an organic organization, rehiring all new staff and rebuilding entire new IT environment. This change enabled our organization to gain operational control and to significantly reduce our costs, and while growing our membership services and industry impact. This change was executed, executed swiftly, and the new team is fully in place and executing at full capacity. Let's talk about our 2021 Fiber Connect Conference and our 20th anniversary. During the quarter, we put a lot of thought into our next step, steps for an in-person conference. We previously had our 2021 annual Fiber Connect Conference scheduled for Dallas in early June. In February, uh, JJ and I flew down to Dallas to assess the environment. We came to the conclusion that we needed to move our event to Nashville later this summer. The location and timing would make our conference available to a larger drive-in audience and ensure that our timing was safely in the herd immunity window. I'm pleased to report that our 2021 Fiber Connect Conference will be held on July 25th to 28th at the Gaylord Opryland in Nashville, and the response has been overwhelmingly positive. At this year's conference, we'll be celebrating our 20th anniversary of the Fiber Broadband Association. As part of this um, celebration, we are planning an evolution of Fiber to the Home showcase exhibit that will look back over the past 20 years and highlight the innovation and progress that our industry has achieved and where we're heading in the future. I look forward to seeing everyone in person at our event. Um, let's look at the uh, move to our RDOF and LEO satellites. At the end of 2020, the FCC announced uh, $9.23 billion in RDOF awards to fund broadband deployment to 180 winning bidders in 49 states and one territory. The Fiber Broadband Association was very pleased that our advocacy 
resulted in 85% of these winning bids were in the gigabit tier, and 99.7% were at least 100 megabit service. Unfortunately, 85% of the non-gigabit awards went to Starlink for low Earth orbit satellites. The Fiber Broadband Association immediately went to work. We commissioned a LEO study with London-based strategy firm Cartesian invited NTCA to join us in this effort. The study revealed that under ideal conditions, 56% of subscribers in these RDOF locations will experience congestion and poor broadband performance in a forecasted low demand scenario. More locations will be negatively impacted if RDOF uses its higher or SpaceX launches fewer satellites by 2028. RDOF service could be significantly worse if Starlink's capacity is allocated to non-RDOF use cases, which will be the case as Starlink is actively promoting service to other residential and commercial subscribers. If just 20% of this capacity is allocated to commercial non-RDOF subscribers, only 22% of RDOF subscribers will have sufficient broadband capacity. And we um, have defined um, efficient or sufficient as 15.3 megabits to 20.8 megabits per subscriber. Additionally, the FCC will have to change its RDOF performance measurement monitoring methods and procedures as the Connect um, Americas uh, fund CAF style performance testing may detect capacity issues due to the dynamic nature of the Starlink network. We filed our layout model along with comments to the FCC to alert the agency of the need to carefully evaluate and vet Starlink's long-form applications um, that were submitted to the FCC on January 29th. The model and analysis clearly illustrate Starlink's LEO satellites will not meet the performance requirement specified in the 904 auction. Further, and most importantly, this technology does not provide a path to fiber. Right, let's talk about the new administration and the $3 trillion infra um, infrastructure package. You know, the first quarter also brought in a new administration and a new Congress. As a result, we have doubled down our Hill advocacy in preparation for a significant infrastructure package. In March, um, Majority Whip Clyburn uh, from South Carolina and um, Senator Klobuchar from Minnesota introduced a $94 billion accessible, affordable, and internet for all act in the House and Senate. This bill includes $80 billion for gigabit symmetric broadband deployment. The fiber broadband and its members have been meeting with numerous congressional offices to gain bipartisan support for this bill and ensure that this effort is included in the significant infrastructure package the administration is preparing. Now let's move to workforce development. You know, 2021 is um, proving to be one of the largest fiber investment years in history. With $9 billion of ARDA funding, our use reconnect program, state broadband funding and private investment and fiber deployment um, plan announcements from service providers of all sizes. As a result, we are facing a significant deficit of qualified fiber professionals in the workforce to get all of this fiber deployed. Our education and employment specialist subcommittees have been working hard to develop a new uh, certified fiber professional training program and certification program that will plan the rollout to community colleges and institutions across the nation. 
This training will include five modules with classroom and hands-on training, followed by an in-the-field internship. There's been a lot of strong progress during the quarter to get this program from ideation to a solid plan for implementation. In addition to our training and certification efforts, uh, the Fire Broadband Association has been working with Congress, Congress, the Biden administration, and at the state level to provide detailed information on job profiles and description to be used in workforce development legislation and programs underway at both the state and federal levels. I'd like to thank um, one of our board members, Mark Boxer, uh, Gene Scott, and Brendan O'Boyle, and all the members of the Education and Employment Specialist Committees, as well as everyone else who's contributed to this effort. I'd like to also now get into a little bit on membership engagement. You know, we currently have a dozen active committees at the Fiber Broadband Association, and I'm happy to report that our members are highly engaged and leveraging these committees to help move our membership forward. The policy committee, led by Ben Moncrief of Ceasefire, has been extremely active with advocacy at the FCC and on Capitol Hill with targeted state policy issues. Uh, our technology committee, led by John George of OFS, has been focusing on finalizing a number of important white papers. Those include wireless versus fiber, Leo satellites, if it's not fiber, it's not broadband, and the digital divide. The technology committee works very closely with the public policy committee to provide research and white papers to support our advocacy efforts. Our public officials working group, led by Bob Knight of Harrison Edwards and Kimberly McKinley, of Utopia Fiber has grown to represent nearly 100 communities across 25 states. This group meets monthly with guest speakers followed by a roundtable discussion on the critical issues our communities are facing. We've also added a new leader to our Women in Fiber Steering Committee. We're extremely fortunate that Jessica Zuvola of Magellan Advisors has stepped up to join the team of Alexa Edens of KGP, uh, Holly Rooster uh, with Graybar, uh, Tanya uh, Kanskruzuski, I messed that up, Tanya, with Duraline, and uh, Kim Hartwell with Corning. We'd like to thank Mary Ellen Grom with AFL for her past leadership and contributions to the Women in Fiber Steering Committee. Uh, she was promoted to AFL and needed to focus her time and efforts on her new work responsibilities. You know, these women have been working hard to pull together um, our strategy and the strong Women in Fiber program leading up to our annual Women in Fiber luncheon during our 2021 Fiber Connect conference in Nashville in July. I mentioned the new training and certification programs are underway with our development specialist committee led by Brendan O'Boyle of Preform uh, Line Products and our education subcommittee led by Gene Scott from the city of Wilson, North Carolina. We have also had valuable work underway with our other committees, which include the Conference Committee, Marketing Committee, and Public Utilities Roundtable. Now, let me speak a, a moment about our Latin America chapter. Our Latin America chapter, under the leadership of Nelson Seto with uh, Fukuwala Electric, has developed a strong plan for this year. Given the complexity of international borders with the pandemic, we have decided to hold two virtual conferences in June and in, Ju and in November timeframes. This year, we are putting together a strong focus on building our service provider membership. 
and are launching some targeted recruiting programs. We are also rebuilding our fiber training programs coordinated by operations director Federico Lang with Annexter that's also been so successful in the past. We have a number of organizations that have reached out to request this training given the tremendous fiber deployment in the region. We have a very strong marketing plan led by Lisa Poe with Corning that will promote our mission across the region. I want to talk a little bit about our board, staff, and key partner support. You know, none of this progress achieved over the quarter would have been possible without the leadership of our chair, Katie Esbeth of EPB, and our board. Our board members are assigned as liaison to each of our committees, and they are all highly engaged. Uh, Joseph Jones, JJ of OnTrack, has been working tirelessly on our upcoming conference, and I've leaned on him heavily on the experience and his expertise of each of our board members and their areas of expertise. I'm also very proud of our staff. We have assembled a wonderful team that have all jumped in with great enthusiasm, energy, and passion as we execute our mission. I would also be remiss if I did not mention the support from our strategic partners and their respective teams. Tom Cohen of Kelly Dry has an amazing command of our industry's regulatory issues. Steve Perry and Kim Bayless of Perry Bayless provide us with visibility and key access to lawmakers and the administration. Jeff Cavadias and his team at Cavadias Hall continue to work closely with our treasurer, Joe Jensen of Corning, to provide oversight of our finances. And Rich Williams and his team at Connect2 Communications have elevated the Fiber Broadband Association's media presence to over 100% of our previous run rate. So now as we look forward, you know, what are our next steps? So our key focus for the second quarter are the following. One is to you know, continue to drive bipartisan support for symmetric gigabit broadband deployment and the Biden uh, um, infrastructure package. We're also gonna continue our advocacy against LEO satellite deployment for rural broadband. We're gonna continue to diversify the Fiber Broadband Association's revenue stream to expand our membership services. We're going to develop our 20th anniversary evolution of the Fiber to Home Showcase for annual conference in Nashville in July. We're going to progress our workforce development plans towards launching pilots with targeted uh, community college. And we're going to launch our survey and research program. You know, as we enter the second quarter, I'm extremely excited about the opportunities in front of us. Communities across our nation are raising their hands, desperate for fiber broadband and the jobs and, in, and economic impact it brings. While the pandemic has been horrible, it has clearly illuminated the critical need for fiber across our nation and in all communities across the world. Our nation has a tremendous opportunity to step up and ensure that no child is left offline. I am so fortunate to have a talented board and a tremendous organization to work for. That coupled with the record level of capital investment being made this year, I am confident that our industry will make a quantum leap forward in advancing fiber broadband employment that will result in jobs, economic impact, and the critical infrastructure that we can build upon now and into the future. So thank you very much for listening. I'm really excited about what we've done over the past quarter 
and where we're in, we're in great position um, for the rest of the year. So thank you again. This is Gary Bolton, Fiber Broadband Association.